Welcome to Grantastic, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me here. This is great. Thanks for uh, showing up. I appreciate it. It means a lot to me. I know uh, the holidays and everything can get busy and everything, so it means a lot to me. You can take some time out of your day to come here and come on to the Grantastic and have a good time. Well, this is cool. Thanks for doing this. And uh, it's a really cool podcast that I've listened to. And um, yeah, I just love hearing about uh, people in San Francisco doing cool things and just making stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just thought, you know, it's, uh, it's great how people connect one another, you know? Um, cause we talked about, you know, who Stefan Franz is and like, you know, I met Stefan through Pure Mind, got the thing, then through Stefan, I met Hither and then Hither came here and then Hither invited me to your amazing, uh, event that you hold at your place. And then I met you and now you're here and, you know, even getting John, who I, who we, we saw at the band show to, uh, to come on here in December. Oh, great. Yeah, so that'll be awesome. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, just connecting the dots, which is always great and super fun. Um, yeah. But, you know, just going into it, I guess, you know, uh, typical kind of questions you start with, you know, growing up, where did you grow up? And Yeah, so um, I'm a Midwestern kid. Uh, I was born in Chicago, and then when I was about two and a half, we moved to St. Louis, Missouri. And that's where I grew up in the in a suburb, close suburb of St. Louis, the city. So it was called Webster Groves. And yeah, I mean, just like you picture like a Midwestern town suburb with lots of trees and good schools. And my parents were really cool. Nice. I always thought that they were too overprotective, but <laughs> they they were great. They are great. And um yeah, I really appreciate now a lot more of what they kind of taught me growing up. And um, yeah, you know, I was uh, I was a good student and um, come middle school, I fell in with some kids that, you know, were I just I wanted to be a cool kid and uh, typical, like kind of not nice middle schooler, maybe. Mm. <laughs> Um, just trying to find my way and fit in and all that stuff. But, I feel um, like that's like, you know, <laughs> that's what happens in like elementary, high school. It's just like a weird phase, you, you know, just growing up, you're just trying to fit in with the local kids or whatever, and you don't want to be that odd one out. I, I get that 100%. But then once you get to college or, you know, um, just grow older, you're like, fuck that. You know what I mean? You just you start living your life and doing what makes you happy. It's, it's a weird dynamic change in the brain once you start like realizing i guess maybe you're just more conscious at that point when you're older yeah i think so and and maybe it's like maybe the middle school thing is is kind of like it maybe it goes deeper into like our animal side of, yeah. of being human is like when you start going from adolescent to adulthood maybe we get sort of our tribal thing going in our brains where we feel like we need to compete with everybody oh, yeah. and, um, and then you end up being mean to people. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it's like, it's like a, 
I usually say this always on the podcast, but it's like life. I'm realizing it's just a balance. You know what I mean? Like you have this instinct, you know, of the tribal, as you say, but then also there's like the other instinct of like, okay, let's be competitive and everything. But in a, in a, what's the right word? In a, like a professional kind of suitable way, you know, like, um, take, um, I don't know, take like, I'm just taking the show, like Don Draper from Mad Men, you know, he's competitive getting like, you know, the ads and everything, but he's clean, you know, he does it in a respectful way or, or, uh, this is probably not the good example, but Kevin, I know, I know Kevin Spacey is kind of fucked right now, but like House of Cards, <laughs> like just taking his character, you know, um, he's just like, I forget what he started with, but then he becomes president, you know, and I'm just like, damn, like he was competitive. So, though everything he did was kind of sketchy and like how he got there, maybe that wasn't the best way to example, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, I guess for me, it's like competitive with, without being like violent physically or uh, verbally maybe. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a challenge to, you know, be a human, which is a kind of am- animal and try to, um, yeah, some resist some of our baser instincts. Yes, yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's a hard thing to do. It, it it is a hard thing to do. <laughs> it's hard to like know when to show that versus when to hold back. And that's I think it, I think it's just repetitions. You know, you 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 just realize when when the cue is like okay, I need to go full on versus all right, we can just chill here. You know, because it just you gotta learn from experience. Yeah. And conversation, which is part of the reason I was like excited to do this podcast is because, you know, this kind of thing where it's just two people talking about whatever and working it out. Uh, I think that's a big part of how we move forward as a species and as a as a society. And I just think it's the key to to figuring things out. You know, it's either it's either conversation or it's violence yeah we got we got two choices <laughs> definitely and it seems like you know um lately you know with with the news and politics and stuff it's so i just i think it's so important for people even if you have different beliefs and views it's so crucial just to talk it out no one needs to yell no one needs to get fluster or anything just explain your view and or thoughts or whatever it is and then talk to the other person and just like what you say just sit down we don't need to get crazy or whatever fists or you know saying slurs or whatever let's just come together <laughs> yeah. no pun intended to the Beatles but like uh <laughs> and just talk because I think having because that's like the way for us like you said for us to grow and flourish um is to just understand one another yep ask a lot of questions I think yeah definitely until yeah. you have no more questions until until the <laughs> dots start connecting you know less telling more asking there we go there we go yeah we're here for that that's that's great uh missouri um the last person i had well not the last person that was chris miranda but the one before i had uh jack kurtzman who's the studio man studio manager for high street studios cool. he's from missouri I, don't, I forget the town oh wow i forget the town you'll have to go listen or i have to I'll text you or whatever if you watch it. Yeah. Um, but he's from there too. You know what I mean? <laughs> when, really he, funny. when he said that, it just clicked my head and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> some Missouri folk out here. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. My my neighbor and really close friend, Casey Turner, who's also awesome concert promoter and Sweet. supporter of the music scene around here, he's also from Missouri. And wow. we joke that or I I joke that like we moved 
you know, 2,000 miles from home just to become best friends with a, yeah. another Missouri kid. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to meet Jack Hirschman if you haven't. Already. Hell yeah. Yeah, 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 he, yeah. He's a great guy. Just so much love and has patience with all of us and stuff when we're like, stuff is happening at High Street. Yeah, um, there you go. It's a, that's a Midwestern thing. Just yeah. Too much patience and positivity no no but uh, we're here for it man we're here for that like especially in this industry and like when you want to learn and understand like i don't know like like shout out to jack for having so much patience for me trying to understand the goddamn patch bay at on studio a like that took a second for me just to like like because it, it's like this giant patch bay and i'm just like and at first i didn't see the labels where they were coming off but like they put new labels on now i see where pro tools is going here you know if you want to plug it into the LA-2A or Fairchild or whatever. Yeah. And now I know how it all works. But shout out to Jack for his patience and kindness. Nice, nice. Yeah. But growing up for you, um, you know, what, did you play any instruments or any artists that inspire you to like pursue this career? Or was this later you just, when you wanted to become a sound engineer? Yeah, I mean, I think the seeds for it were, were planted pretty early on. Um, like kind of just part of being in the family was, uh, you know, starting with my older sister, who's four years older than me. She just took piano lessons and um, I followed in those footsteps and took piano from a pretty early age. But, you know, the I just always saw it as like a chore or something that that just wasn't fun, that I wasn't like super into just sitting down and practicing. And part of that maybe was just living in this house with three siblings. And we were always kind of like competitive with each other and picking on each other and stuff like that. And practicing piano was always going to be this like public sort of performative thing at home. Yeah. So maybe that was part of the reason why it was never like something I really wanted to commit to that hard. But um, yeah, and then uh, starting in sixth grade, um, it was a, another thing of like, okay, now you're in sixth grade. Now you join the band at school. Mm. So for me, that was like, that was, uh, I was playing saxophone Sweet. and my brother had played trumpet and I didn't want to do that. So saxophone was like the other, the other instrument that, um, I don't know how I chose that, but <laughs> well, my, and then my older sister, I think had played clarinet, I want to say. Um, but yeah, played saxophone in the school band and, you know, always playing music that someone else chose for us and nothing that was like super interesting to me, I guess. And then I, I just never, you know, when I was practicing outside of, uh, band practice, it was always just practicing the, the notes on the page kind of thing or the scales, like the things that they just told you you had to do. So um, I look back now and I kind of wish that, you know, that spark of like creativity and like the freedom that you really get in music could have been, you know, kindled in me a little bit earlier. Um, but, um, yeah, so I kept playing saxophone through middle school and even high school. I was in the jazz band at Sweet. school and music got more interesting at that point. And, um, I was never really good or probably committed enough to practicing that I could like take it out of just what's written on the yeah. page. But, um, yeah, I was lucky enough to have this group of friends in high school that they were kind of, uh, 
playing guitars and doing other stuff outside of like what uh, the school was providing. And they were into some weird music and they told me about that music. And then uh, one really key experience for me was I, I was a junior in high school and we went out to the pageant, which was like this big rock club and in St. Louis, which was a cool place that I I don't think I'd ever been to. Um, and I was always sort of intimidated by, you know, big concerts and stuff. And um, anyways, I got dragged out to the show. It was, there was, I think it was all ages. And I remember at the pageant, you had the, the underage kids all had to go to this little place mm-hmm. <laughs> separate from the adults. Um, and we saw Bela Fleck and the Flecktones. Okay. And that was really mind blowing. Just going to see that concert and um, just seeing how virtuosic those guys were every single person in that band and the showmanship and the joy and then how the audience responded it was just like eye-opening and um i mean yeah i don't i don't know if i had thoughts that early on about like being in the music industry or wanting to do something like that but um that was definitely like a key moment where i was like all right this music thing is like serious and I would really, really like it. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, no, that's awesome to hear and like the instruments you played. But um, but you, we talked about uh, you'd also do bass. Would you say would you say bass came in later after saxophone and stuff? Or Yeah, I would say. Uh, yeah, much later. Actually, bass only came into the picture in the last few years. And honestly, again, like I struggle with um, with just the commitment to practicing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess because now I feel like I have other creative outlets that are more attractive to me, more interesting to me um, versus like sitting and playing an instrument and trying to get good at it. When I listen to a lot of music and I feel like it's just when you consider how how good people are at instruments, I, I know I shouldn't think this way, but, you know, it's it's hard to to think that like I have anything to add. And I'm sure, like, this is what all musicians struggle with. <laughs> oh, trust me. Trust me. Like, coming here and everything, and I mean, also just college, too, just seeing, like, how many great guitarists are and everything, seeing how they play. And, you know, I really thought, okay, guitar is going to be my thing. And then going to University of Arizona and seeing the classical guitarists and the fl- flamenco guitarists, I was like, okay, at this point, maybe I should reconsider a th- career path. And, uh, <laughs> Just because, like, I mean, I get it. It's like the dedication, the hours you put in, and just the repetitions and the lessons and everything, and the master classes. Um, it was just like, okay, I need to find something niche. The guitar, this is niche for sure, <laughs> especially in Tucson, Arizona. Coming out here, there's some guitars for sure. If you go to Berkeley or up in uh, kind of Marin County, whatever, like, there's like a Ollie. I'm blanking on the name right now, but like a sitar school for people to learn to oh, wow. sitar and like hmm. tabla players. And cool. it's a legit thing, which is cool. But I'm like, OK, maybe we're <laughs> jump to the next instrument. No, I'm kidding. We're, we're sticking with the sitar. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like it's hard to like focus on like you and your performance because you're so like, especially with the reels from Instagram or TikTok, you just see these young kids, whatever, just playing these, you know, these compositions where you're just like, okay, I'm not even there yet. Or they're, they're making their own music and you're like, okay, what are they doing? Or like, what, like, are they just not going to school? Are the parents just 
full on just lessons with music with yeah. like instruments i don't know it's interesting yeah um yeah instruments are so fun and you know like with the bass um i had some good times like just during the pandemic like you know in my headphones just like playing along to records that i really like and there's like a there's sort of a meditative thing that that was cool about that and it was very private which i thought was important because i'm just really self-conscious about being heard um but yeah i mean i kind of skipped over like late high school when i got an acoustic guitar because i really you know after that bela fleck show and like you know starting to listen to like zeppelin and you know guitar music yeah um i was like all right i gotta get a guitar and just try this thing out it's pretty fun yeah definitely you gotta start somewhere you know that's how you uh live and learn so yeah i feel that for sure definitely um you know talking about like idols you know that one show and stuff i definitely just thinking back um the first like similar show well actually there was two of them uh it was with my grandma seeing paul mccartney in 2013 yeah. and she was there at the ed sullivan show from the beatles and then Whoa. the second one was with me uh in sacramento so that was just like a moment there for her and then for me it's just like oh my god he's singing blackbird all these songs that i always hear you know at the record she had at home and so great and then counting crows just because my dad's a huge counting crows you know if they were on tour with matchbox 20 i forget where it was somewhere uh in norcal and um just hearing you know mr jones and all the songs and long december it was just like a moment of just like I don't know, just, it's nostalgic for me. I don't know, I just really like it. And uh, 90s rock is a whole thing, you know, with Dave Matthews and Mazzy Stars and just all of those guys, like guys and gals. I just, that's what got me into music, that like nostalgia, the lyrics, it's, it's peaceful. I don't know what other words to say, really. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, there were some really catchy, great songs that came out of that period and... Yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think, like, for me, like, when that moment was, when I start, when I actually, like, got to see the concert of something that I heard on the radio, because mm -hmm. I think that's a really cool moment where, like, you've heard something over and over, and then, like, you see it, and it's larger than life, and you're like, wow, they're actually, <laughs> there was actually, like, this band that played yeah. this music, and it's not just, you know, coming out of the radio, um, you know, and I... Yeah, I think a lot of my music listening growing up, up till, you know, mid to late high school was pretty much what had been like fed to me through the radio. Definitely. And, um, yeah, say what you want about just how much music there is now, but it's it's kind of a luxury and you can find basically whatever you want. Whereas when I was growing up, it was more like, yeah fed to us yeah the radio is the only real way i mean and, and unless you go to like gigs and stuff you know your local like place venue then maybe hear like this opening act of the band like oh i kind of dig them but yeah radio was like remember like uh e street radio like bruce springsteen or the new wave or any of those that's where i like you know back then i remember my folks just writing it down they had to literally pen in a pad in the car just to stop and write the songs or they tell me to write it or whatever yeah that's cool um but then Shazam now is here. So now if you hear a song, you just click that thing and it saves it for you. And then Yeah, you I can, love that. Which is super cool. But yeah, it's just music is, 
so much of it and there's so many like genres and subgenres of from a genre it's just it's amazing how easy for people to like you know just get a laptop and just create something it's easy for you to express yourself yeah it's accessible yeah. so yeah it's i think really great which is super cool but then after you know because we're at high school going to college um what did you what was your major uh i was actually a music major okay um and it was a pretty small school it was the colorado college is what it was called and mm -hmm. it's still around and it's great and i think there were only like 12 of us who were music majors in, in my graduating year. So it was pretty small, but um, it was cool. It was definitely more geared towards uh, people that were either going to be on track to become like composers or, yeah. um, or music teachers. Um, so I knew that I wasn't going to be either of those things, but I just kept hearing all those people say, follow your passion, follow your passion. And that was the closest thing, you know, mm -hmm. to, to what I was into. And, um, yeah, I was pretty dedicated to, um, this like concert club on campus and put a ton of time and effort into that too. So that was like booking bands to come to our campus and, uh, putting on like the Battle of the Bands, and there was two big festivals that we threw every year uh, during the school year. So like a lot of planning went into that, and um, yeah, when I think I was a junior, I became like the head of that club, and Sweet. Um, yeah, it's funny like just starting to navigate like leadership and my own style, and trying to like you know, make sense of all these voices of people having their opinions about things and politics and all that stuff. And I realized like, I really don't like that stuff. <laughs> no. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that was, that was a really formative time for me. Cause yeah, there was a few like music experiences I had like just before college where I was like, all right, this is like my passion and I really, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's going to be something in music. I just need to like, commit my life to this because it's it's just clearly so meaningful to me and to so many people and yeah it's just it seems like a no-brainer no yeah it's <laughs> it's you know there's really no structural like guideline path to this kind of like goal of ours you know especially like if you want to be like a producer or audio engineer um it's just you kind of you jump into the major of music and you try to learn the theory and everything and then afterwards you just try to get connected or go to the place where there's a lot of music like nashville or you know la or atlanta or new york if you want to say or toronto it's like yeah i wish you know there was better i wish there was a major in audio engineering you know that it could be its own thing uh it was just like a class for at least for me audio yeah. engineering class uh, for a semester and I was like this is great why can't we make this a whole thing yeah now it seems like there's a lot of audio schools out there yeah unfortunately I think they're really a lot of them are so expensive so it's pretty inaccessible for a lot of people but it's cool that they're out there yeah it's super cool and you know there's sometimes like shout out to like Pyramine because you know they're they don't call themselves like a college. They just call themselves like a higher education and what Greg's doing over there mm -hmm. and all those guys. And, you know, 
if you know this is what you want to do, then yeah, just get the college. You save so much money from that, and mm -hmm. then you just go there for a whole year, and you get your Pro Tools certifications. You get your uh, you get understanding of Logic, Ableton. They kind of even guide you to like if you want to get an Able certification, they don't give that to you, but they can lead you in the right direction. And then yeah. Wise certification if you want to go into game audio and stuff like that. So it's really uh, they have a lot of avenues there if you want something for music if it's games shows movies producing audio engineering. so shout out to them for that because that yeah that's really great i th i hope that more kind of trade schools like that mm -hmm. um keep popping up because it yeah. seems like more and more like the the classical sort of bachelor of arts four-year college thing is meaning less and less oh yeah unless <laughs> unless you're trying to be part of sf symphony or some shit try to get like a seat or whatever <laughs> uh yeah i don't see where that gets you or if you're trying to be like get a doctor's degree or something or phd in music which at that point i'm like phd in music it just seems insane to me like <laughs> yeah i mean if you want to become a professor i would say yeah that makes sense but um yeah i just i think i i actually when i moved to san francisco i was i didn't really have a job or plans but i knew like music was going to be the thing and i had started um doing live sound and really wanted to record and so i looked around at peer mind and some of the schools and then um just met some people right away pretty pretty in a pretty lucky way that perfect timing. um yeah and it was the like uh, one guy in particular michael hatfield still a friend of mine and uh, he, I remember I Googled like audio company, San Francisco and his company showed up and I called him, I called a bunch of people and like sent resumes to people that probably never read them. And, but he, he answered the phone and he was basically like, Oh, you're an audio guy. Why don't you come down to the shop tomorrow? And I'm going to have you like fix some cables for me and then we'll talk. And I was like, okay, cool. And so I came down and he paid me and like, and then I remember he took me on this like tour of San Francisco and like all his friends, like Sweet. in his car, he just drove me around literally. <laughs> and he's like, all right, we're going to go to this studio. And then we're going to go to this like audio repair shop. And we're going to take you to another audio company. Um, and that led me to a, a recording studio internship, like right away. And, um, did that for about a year or so. And then uh, also through Hatfield's connections, I got like my first job at a music club doing live sound and just kind of, you know, I really appreciate that, that part of, you know, first getting here and like someone actually, you know, sort of taking me under their wing and yeah. um, letting me go wild. So, uh, yeah, shout out to Michael Hatfield for Definitely. just being a connector and just a great person that's to what, know. You know, that's what you look for. You look for the, you know, the people who are willing to bring you into their community and like help you grow and prosper. And um, it's nice to know, you know, people here in SF are for that, you know, because at first moving here, I didn't know if this was the place, you know, and maybe like for you, why did you choose SF versus like Nashville or LA or New York, what made you just kind of bullseye like, this is it, this is where I want to go? Yeah, good question, because it's not obvious. But um, I mean, at the time, it seemed like a great place with a great music community and 
lot of little fun music clubs. Um, and yeah, so when I was still in college, um, my sister, my older sister was living in San Francisco. Okay. And um, one of my favorite kind of online music databases and um, and kind of music journalism hubs was, was called Jambase. And they're still around. Uh, but they were based in San Francisco. And um, I applied and got us an internship with them over the summer between my junior and senior years, I think it was. So I got to spend a whole summer in San Francisco. And also at the time, one of my favorite bands was living here. And so I was like, all right, this is like kind of an epicenter of like, you know, people and musicians and and things that I want to be around and at least check out. So I had a great time here that summer and just met so many cool people. I went to High Sierra Music Festival for the first time, which I'd always like read about. And that was a blast. Um, so, yeah, fast forwarding to the end of college, I I knew that I liked San Francisco. And, um, and then it just so happened that my girlfriend at the time, we're married now, um, she happened to get a job here and took it. And so um, I decided to follow her out here and, and Sweet, just yeah. give it a go for a I, while because I knew I loved it here already. Yeah. And... Um, and so, yeah, never left. That's awesome. I was, my, I mean, my other, my next question was like, was going to be, if your sister didn't come here, would you still come? But obviously, your girlfriend moved. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's such an easy place to love. Yeah, because it's just I'm really into natural beauty, and yeah. uh, I feel like this city just has so much of it. There's, oh, there's like the buildings and the downtown, but then there's the hills and the forests and all these yeah. wild places where you can hide out and feel like you're not in a city. And for me, that's really important. Uh, and I'm so lucky to, to live where I live. And I know it's like just a s- extremely hard city to live in. Um, you know, we have this terrible housing crisis and, mm-hmm. you know, we're not doing enough to address that. So I just, you know, every day I try to just ground myself in gratitude for being able to make it here somehow yeah no definitely (laughs) it's you know it's a blessing to be in san francisco because like yeah rent and everything is just going higher and higher and tech bros are coming in and just making it hard for other people and different industries to even live here so yeah um it's definitely if you can live here and do music by all means that's awesome to hear because the music needs to be here like there even there's even a history here you know with the summer of love and also like the punk scene that was here as well and yeah um, so much like just even Kathy Peck, you know, she just trying to tell me about her group when she was like rocking and stuff, and it was yeah. just like, God damn, and seeing her playing with her Rick bass and all that stuff, and it's like San Francisco goes through these waves of different genres, and it's so amazing to see how it keeps on flourishing, and hopefully that doesn't end just because of tech or something, you know. Hopefully, artists are can still be here and grow and keep it alive because we need it man yeah absolutely and that's something i'm trying to work on and is just keeping the community going right and i kind of felt it like during covid when like rents were going down and i was like oh this is it like more artists are going to move back here because it's getting a little bit more affordable and that was when i moved apartments as well uh and maybe this is another one right now because you hear about all like the tech layoffs happening like 
who knows? <laughs> I I just hope that um that you know there can be these influxes of of new creatives coming in and um I just remember like when I first moved here like going over to these houses where it was like you know six people living in a house funky artwork everywhere mm-hmm. and um it was just cool to see yeah. like people scraping by and and making it work and I hope that I hope that that stuff's still happening uh I think it's becoming rarer and at in my time like being here I can definitely feel um a lot of people have left uh, that I you know knew when I first moved here that are that were doing creative stuff um so that's kind of a bummer but um I really like being here and I just want to now I'm in a place where I feel like I can try to at least um, create community and um, you know just reinforce this idea in people's heads locally that that you know art matters to our community and um, that we need to keep that tradition alive that spirit of the of the 60s and 70s yeah, music and art stuff like we need to keep San Francisco weird. We need to keep it yeah. funky. We need to keep bringing people in and making sure they can afford to, to be here and make their art and share it with everybody. Definitely. that I, I couldn't well said, like, especially like 60s, 70s, just the funkiness. That's why, like, for me to move here, because I thought about L.A. and everything there, but I just felt saturated and fake and people where, like, they're all about, like, spending all their money on like stuff they can't really afford so they like you know they lease it or whatever on cars and stuff and then the fashion and all this shit and it's like and just not being their true self and like you know we talked about like even going back to like the elementary thing like just trying to fit in but at like the age 40 or like 30 or whatever and it's like at this point shouldn't you just not give a shit and it's here it's just you're just who you are you know what i mean yeah um i love that yeah same which is great um, but talking about, you know, living here now and everything, would you say your main focus is live sound? So like, you know, live engineer, audio engineer. Hmm. Um, it's probably like the job that I do the most, I would say. Um, but I mean, I started producing videos for people um, about 10 years now, 10 years ago now. And, um, that was really just a way to do more recording and without having a studio job. And that's kind of spiraled into all kinds of different projects that I never thought I would be doing, but, um, yeah. So, so it's kind of, uh, yeah, live sound for concerts, but also like doing random events, fundraisers and corporate gigs and weird stuff. Um, and then, yeah, doing some concert work locally, but a lot of it on the road now and video stuff. And then also, uh, just working with animals too. Sweet. Doing a, doing a lot of dog sitting since, yeah. since, uh, our cat died a couple of years ago. Um, but that's been a really cool thing that I've added to my yeah, man. I mean, what freelance I, repertoire. I mean, pets, pets are amazing. Sorry for your cat. Rest in peace. Thanks. Yeah, um, Pepper. Pepper, you're in our prayers. <laughs> um, yeah, I that someone told. I don't know if you know 
who Eric Kunal is. Maybe you heard the name. Name rings a bell, yeah, but I don't know what he teach, does. Teach uh, game audio Pro Tools uh, at Pyramine, but now okay. he's a instructor over there now. Um, he was always telling me, and he came on the podcast, and just as an audio engineer, you know, here, he was telling me if you really want to be like a, an audio engineer, you know, recording people, he was saying the place you really have to do that is in SoCal. He says here it's like more of live events or game audio. And I always thought like, okay, I get that, but I think it's possible. You just have to hustle harder. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, there's, there are still a lot of bands around that need to, to record their music and in the Bay Area. And yeah, I think it's like anything where if you hang around long enough and you keep doing the thing and you keep getting better and you're like easy to work with, you'll get work, I think. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, it also depends on what your goals are, maybe, um, you know, if if your goal is to like rise the ranks of engineers and work with you know, bigger artists and better studios, like maybe LA is a better place. Um, but also, yeah, it's like you were saying about just the place that you are in. And that's for me, the big thing is like, I know that I could like make a go of it in LA and do that thing. But this place here is just much more attractive of a place to, mm, to be. Definitely. Um, so that's, that's why I've stuck it out at least um knowing that yeah la is is there and people do great things down there it's really amazing mm. uh it's not my scene but that's fine no definitely <clears throat> that's the only reason why i'm still here as well just because uh i don't know i, I we've talked about it already but just like I just love San Francisco. It's just the vibe as well. And like you have the city, you can say, and as well as nature, you know, not, not that far away. And then mm -hmm. also my folks aren't that far. Um, so if I want to see them, especially our dogs, I can just go up an hour, 40, whatever, two hour max and go see my pups. And then with it's go. all good. So <laughs> it's like, this is like home base, which is uh, great to be around. So that's great. Well, I'm glad you're here, Grant. Yeah, I'm glad you're here, too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now we can do the podcast. And yeah, stuff. I think we're going to be friends forever now. A hundred percent, man. <laughs> we can bring, you know, some your bass, my sitar, create some like, I don't know, uh, bluegrass sitar music. If that's what you want, I'm here for it. It's a, you know, you know, niche genre, but maybe people will get into it. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows, man? <laughs> well, speaking even of bluegrass, would you? Uh, I did do you know research and stuff of like the audience, you know, who you've done for live events, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I have my list here and just kind of looking at it, I see like I don't listen to bluegrass, so I don't know these artists. Maybe we can, and for viewers who do know who they are, great. For those who don't, uh, maybe you could tell us like you know who Jerry Douglas and what's his the importance of him. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, Jerry's an amazing performer and musician and just a great person all around, but, um, he's the master of the dobro. And for folks who don't know what the dobro is, it's a resonator guitar that you play flat on its back and you play it with a slide. And, um, yeah, Jerry's been playing in bands for a long time. <laughs> And uh, probably his the most famous band that he's actually been 
a member of, uh, you know, permanently is Allison Krauss and Union Station, which they kind of got really famous um, after that movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, came out. Okay. Because uh, they had some songs featured in that. And and that that movie really, because of how popular it was, it re- and, and because of the music that was in that movie, I feel like that really brought bluegrass to the forefront of um, some people's musical taste, maybe. Um, it brought it into the mainstream a little bit more. So, Sweet. yeah, Jerry's amazing. He's got, you know, 14 or something Grammys and um, just, yeah, he's, <clears throat> and his, the, the four piece band that he's had for the last few years um, that I've been working with is, is really cool. It's uh, Daniel Kimbrough on bass and Kristen Settlemeyer on violin mm-hmm. and Mike Seal on guitar. And they're all just stellar players. So Sweet. it's, and they're, they're not just playing bluegrass. It's, they all kind of like know bluegrass pretty well, mm-hmm. but they play some pretty out there stuff, kind of okay. fusiony, jazzy. Oh, sweet. I don't okay. even know if you can categorize some of it, but it's really fun music and it's adventurous and they take risks. And um, yeah, they're also just really fun to be around. So yeah, it's, man, it's that, cool. That's cool to hear. And just like <laughs> looking at like, saw the list of the artists you worked with the one that caught my eye just because i just love him so much was young the giant and <laughs> um that that was like just i don't know growing up to indie rock and stuff they were just you know one of the big kind of like idols you know that got me into it. what was it like trying to work with them that was a yeah that's a pretty good story actually um so that was in 2010 when i had just i had just moved to San Francisco in 2009 and um yeah I was just I was doing studio internships and working in clubs here but also I knew that like touring was like where it was at as Mm -hmm. far as like just working for an artist and like how cool would that be so um how did that all go down this is a good story (laughs) no I'm here for it um yeah, so at that point in like studio internship world, that was like uh, I was a little bit frustrated with where I was at, and I, I was always like uh, one thing that m- my college taught me was like reach out to people who are experts in your field and and see what's up and see if, see what you can learn. Maybe they'll respond. And one of those people that I reached out to at that point uh, was this guy named Joe Ciccarelli. You know him? He's a, he's a, he's a big time LA producer and has worked on a million records. And, uh, I just sent him an email out of the blue being like, Hey, I'm trying to do what you're, what you do. And I live in San Francisco. I'm just trying to make a go of it. And I just, I love the records that you make. I think at that point he had just produced a record for my morning jacket and okay. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, and he responded. He was really generous and cool and just said, yeah, whatever you want to talk about, let's talk about it. And I was like, oh, my God, he, he wrote me back. And that was cool. Um, and at the time, he was working on a record with Young the Giant, actually. Um, and concurrently, I, um, I had connected with this other guy who um, hired me to work production at high sierra music festival and he was the 
tour manager for my morning jacket. And I was, I remember I like bummed a ride with him and his wife from San Francisco all the way up to the festival, which was a long ride. And he was very generous to give me that ride. And I basically just, he's like, Hey, so what's your deal? And I was like, Oh, well, I'm just trying to get my foot in the door and touring and doing sound. And, and he's like, all right, I'll keep, keep my ear open. And then a couple weeks later, he, he sent me a message, you know, there's a band who's looking for a sound guy. And I was like, yeah, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. And it was a pretty big tour. It was, uh, it was three bands. So Everest was the artist that I had been hired by and they were the middle band. And then, um, spacing on the headliners name, but I think it had the word bear in it. Okay. (laughs) And then young, the giant was the opener. And, I think at the same time for that tour, like Young the Giant was looking for an engineer too. So uh, maybe this was a, it definitely was a poor choice on my part, but um, Joe Ciccarelli somehow stepped in, was like, hey, like these guys are looking for a sound guy. And I'm like, I'm already on that tour. And so, and then I I ended up mixing for both the opener and the middle band on that tour. Okay. Um, and the story gets good where I actually got fired from that tour. My first tour as a front of house sound engineer, I was fired (laughs) by the band I was working for. Um, And I think it's because I was just so green and I was probably stepping on the toes of the headliners engineer, probably unknowingly. And I think he just started like rather, rather than like, pull me aside and be like, Hey man, like I really don't want you to do these certain things you've been doing. Like Mm. just, I'm trying to look out for my guys. He started like, you know, saying things to other people on the tour about, about how I was doing things that were wrong. I don't even really know what, what was said, but anyways, I eventually that we had a break on the, in the tour and I was hanging out with some friends in New York and the band I was working for called me and they're like, Hey man, I'm really sorry, but we got to let you go. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a big letdown cuz I was I was out on the road, you know, it was like, yeah. you know, week 3 of a 5-week tour or something yeah. and I was out with like Young the Giant and Everest and like the music was so cool and um it was kind of like a dream come true and then to like have that uh happen on the first tour was definitely a big letdown. Um and I was definitely having some major doubts about about myself after that but um yeah i mean young the giant is an awesome band and they were that was i think one of their first big tours at that point too and yeah they were it was cool to have a band that that was that fun and that engaging to audiences kind of like I was only a few years older than them, but they were like looking up to me and like so appreciative of the thing I was doing for them. And I just thought it was great. And then, yeah, like a couple of years later, they're playing like 5,000 person venues. Yeah, and I'm huge, like, man. wow. Yeah. Good for them. I mean, <laughs> what, so many questions in that story that if you don't, I'm just going to like, try yeah. to hit them. I guess the first one just with young, the giant went around them just like down to earth kind of guys that are just like, they're just here to do the music. 
Yeah, I mean, they they each had their different personalities in the band, but I remember um, Samir, the lead singer, mm-hmm. was just like incredibly kind and incredibly intelligent. I think he like went to Stanford, yeah, and dropped out. Or, yep, exactly. Um, but yeah, just super nice, nice guy, and they all were really. Um, I remember Eric, the one of the rhythm guitarists was kind of goofy. Like he brought his bike on tour and he was just kind of bopping off the walls and stuff. And then, you know, um, yeah, it was, it was a good mix of personalities and, um, Pyam, the bass player was really cool. Uh, just chill, but also like on his shit. So yeah, that was, even though, uh, it was a major blow at that time to, to get booted off that tour. It was definitely a, a big learning experience yeah. and um, yeah, just to, just to like have had that time where, you know, before things blew up, like I have good memories of like that tour. It was, it definitely. was pretty cool. It was like really good rock bands and um, especially the Everest guys, they were, they were probably 10 years older than me and um, really good musicians and um just I, their their record that they had just come out with at the time was really cool and um they had had uh some big time mixer mix the record and it was just cool it was like in in a genre that i really yeah. liked and um yeah good good lead singer and i was yeah really lucky good to be vibes all around <laughs> would you say would it be hard for you to get back in touch with those guys? Cause that was a while ago. <clears throat> yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, I see like Everest, I think they, I don't know if they have ever officially broke up, but, um, I kind of like see what those, some of those guys are still doing. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Eli, the bass player is playing with father John Misty yeah. now. And, um, and one of the guys, uh, I'm spacing on his name, but, uh, yeah, I shouldn't even say it, but, um, yeah, I see what they're up to and it's right. all good stuff. And if I ran into them, I would totally just Hell yeah. say hi and yeah, like, man. Hey, remember me? Like yeah. I'm that dopey little 23 year old who you had to fire that one time. And I would, you know, I totally get it that, you know, they just had to look out for themselves and I was a threat to that. So no, no, but it's like a life lesson. And also, I mean, First of all, just taking the second, just like congrats on just like at 23 going and doing the, you know, live sound for that. I mean, I mean, I'm 23 turning 24 this week and it's just like, like that is the goal. You know what I mean? Just get the foot in the door and just yeah. doing stuff like that. And as well as like, you have to like, at least for me, it's like I learned the best way for me to learn is to make the mistake, even though I might get have to take the bark for it it's just like that's the only way i mean it happened at high street already a few times you know what i mean just helping with them engineers and stuff yeah. and it's like it's just that, part of it it's part of it and it's like it's no hard feelings it's just um at least well the engineers there at least like like afterwards talk to me he's like don't mean to bark but you just gotta you know what i mean your dude sounds just like a complete dick like he should have communicated with you at least you know yeah i agree with you uh, he could have, he could have seen that I was young and green and yeah. like kind of tried to help a little bit, but, um, yeah, who knows? I mean, it was a big tour and he had, a, I'm sure a lot 
It was called Minus the Bear. That was that band, okay. the headliner. There we go. <laughs> Minus the Bear. Yeah. Shit, man. Yeah. But would you say um, lot for the live sound or live engineering, would you say you mostly stick with, uh, I, hate, I don't want to use the, that genre bluegrass, but that type. Okay, we're back. Cool. CP, we're back. Yeah, we're sorry, folks. We're waiting only one sec. Just a CP overload of the, how hot it was, probably. <laughs> Should we uh, rewind it all? or? No, it'll be fine. I found this. Uh, Do you have a sense of how much uh, we lost? or? Uh, well, I it's probably. It probably was because I heard a, like a click, oh, okay, so that's cool. why I stopped it. Oh, nice! So, so it made like a beep, and then I was like, "Never heard this sound before." <laughs> so let's uh, take a second and um, see what's the problem. But yeah, we're, we're probably good. Um, yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. So I don't, I don't. Uh, I th I think like I kind of fell into the bluegrass world and. Um, well, that's, that's kind of not the right way to put it. Basically, I, I guess when I was in college, I always got sort of like we were, we were setting up our own PA system for those battle of bands nights and stuff. And mm -hmm. it's easy to get really frustrated at like the loud rock band, right? Yeah. <laughs> Cause they're the hardest to do sound for, especially when you're learning. But, um, I always thought, wow, wouldn't that be cool if, if I could work for like an acoustic band where, you know, you're really mixing um, the show and you're not like just reinforcing what, you know, the drums in the room are mm -hmm. um, covering up. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, like there were some there were some cool bands, uh, you know, in in the early 2010s that. I really liked and then at that point I was trying to work shows for those kinds of bands like at the local venues here in San Francisco and one of the things I did was you know worked a show with the Punch Brothers and their sound guy was kind of legendary and I was like really looking forward to the show and meeting him and working with him <clears throat> and his name is David Cinco cool. and you know after the show I was just like hey that was awesome working with you like would you ever be open to me like just emailing you some questions about how you do what you do and he was super generous also and just yeah sure and then we just like struck up a conversation and um i asked some good questions and then i don't know a little while later he he then you know he had a gig that crossed his plate and he said can you do it and i said yep and um, that was with another kind of acoustic Americana type of band. So, mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, that was, that was, uh, the band I'm thinking of was the Sarah Watkins band and, okay. um, Sarah and her brother, Sean are, have been in this band Nickel Creek since they were kids and they're really great, like kind of pop bluegrass maybe. But at the time, Sarah had just come out with a record that was, 
more like Americana, I guess. Like there were drums and weird tones happening that they had made in the studio. And uh, I thought that was really cool that she's like this bluegrass fiddle player, but she's making this record with Blake Mills, this really cool guitarist and producer. And um, so, yeah. And then like I've just kept working like based on that original connection. Like I just, the calls I get for touring tend to be, um, in that genre. And I know it's, it's a very, uh, it can be kind of a tricky thing to mix those concerts live. Um, and I'm really good at it at this point. So, um, yeah, it's a combination of just kind of my network is, is with those bands primarily. And that's where my skill set kind of is. But that's not to say that I don't love mixing rock bands too. Like yeah. if that call came in and it seemed like a good opportunity, I would definitely take it. That, um, that was my the follow-up question. It's like if Young the Giant or any of those bands hit you up again, like would you be down to hell mix yeah. this? Yeah. 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 Um, I'd, part of me does, you know, I, I do need to like look out for my hearing. And that was one thing that I, that I, was feeling on that on that tour that first tour Mm -hmm. which was like i was mixing two rock bands and the rooms were sometimes they were big but not always and it was loud like i was mixing you know at you know probably close to 100 db a weighted every night and for two different bands and i i think i could feel it in my head at that point that that was not really sustainable so um is that would you say live (laughs) sound engineers shouldn't wear plugs or because you gotta hear it so i mean in an ideal world no and i think most of the ones that work for bigger artists don't wouldn't wear earplugs during a show wow okay Um, yeah it's tricky because you want to give the audience this experience this like high impact experience that feels right for the music and if you mix a rock band at 80 db something seems off about that to me at least um and all this stuff is completely a matter of personal opinion uh for myself but also you know the people the other people that mix this music like they have their own opinion about what is the proper level for a show um but yeah I don't think that that you should have to wear earplugs at a show in an ideal world. Like, say an ideal yeah. world is an outdoor show mm-hmm. where you're not getting cra- crazy reflections on off the walls of a venue inside. Um, if it's an outdoor show and you're not getting a lot of stage volume off of um, the stage from the drums or the, the amps and you have complete control over what the level is... Mm-hmm. Uh, I see no reason why you should wear earplugs because at least for me, like I like to be so detailed about what I'm hearing and what the audience is hearing that if I'm wearing earplugs, I'm going to be second guessing myself the whole time. Um, And what, what I want to do in that situation is um, give the audience what they need to get through this show and have a great time. And it's, um, yeah, it's for me it's it's all about kind of 
guiding them through this listening experience. Mm. You're doing weird stuff with the faders that you wouldn't do yeah. in a studio. You're boosting solos kind of in an exaggerated way sometimes. And um, yeah, for me, like I need to, I need to know that all those subtleties that I'm performing are translating to the audience. Um, and if I was wearing earplugs, I think that that would um, not work so well. No, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just makes sense. I just didn't even think about it because, um, you know, I got, you know, from shout out to Kathy, the her plugs, and um, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna always wear it from concerts. But then I just thought about it now, like. <clears throat> I guess if you're running the concert as an engineer, you just sadly just couldn't wear them. And I feel bad for people who do like dubstep or EDM or like those high, like just, just your ears are so valuable, you know? Yeah. I don't. Yeah. If it were a situation like that, like mixing for a DJ, mixing for a yeah. DJ, like I don't know if I wouldn't, I might wear earplugs in that situation because you're not making any, I mean, I don't think that the, that the front of house engineer is making any adjustments to the relative levels of what's mm -hmm. coming into the mixing console that they would need to be in tune with all those subtleties all the time. And for those shows, the, the sound levels that you have to mix at yeah. are like absurd um, and probably pretty unhealthy to have going for two hours a night, uh, four nights a week at yeah, least. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I'd be curious if there's any people that are doing that kind of music that wear them, and I wouldn't be surprised, and I wouldn't fault them if they do, because, you know, you just got to protect yourself. Yeah, definitely. First and foremost, and, yeah. No, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting, like, you going back to what you were saying about how, when the audience comes to a live event, it's a different type of mixing versus when you're in the studio, just you and the artist, and you're trying to, you know, create a record, um, and realizing how much you have to go with the faders and changing certain things, and like doing the band shell with Stefan and learning under his wing and stuff. It's it's been incredible, but like, so like you have to put a different cap on at that point, you know? And yeah. I I guess like when you know starting out when you're first like being a live audio engineer like what was the i mean what i guess how do i want how i want to word it is uh what was the main stress for you like you know what just starting like because everyone has their, their certain stress with that stuff because you're just trying to fix problems it seems like yeah yeah i mean the one obvious one is just feedback right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's like that's like every audio engineer band member audience members audience members uh biggest like nightmare at a show is mm -hmm. just like when there's like feedback happening and it's not caught right away yeah. right so uh i remember yeah just you know that time period when i first moved here and i was working several nights a week at the red devil lounge on polk street okay, yeah. a little club that was really fun um you know just there was a lot of noisy bands and one of the main things was, you know, like we were mixing front of house and monitors from the same console. And one of the big things was just like trying to get their vocals loud enough in the monitor. And at some point in the night, it's, it's going to feedback. And, um, that's always stressful when that happens. It still happens sometimes. Um, and yeah, it's incredibly stressful because it, it's something obvious 
that people are hearing that is not part of the music. It's not intended. Yeah. So, um, and the goal is to have what the band is putting out sound wise, yeah. you know, translate perfectly into the sound system. But, um, yeah, feedback obviously is not part of that. So, um, yeah, I remember doing, I mean, there's just that thing of like hand, eye, brain, ear coordination that yeah. happens when, when you get feedback and it happens enough. And especially like in the same club, if you're in the same club enough, you kind of start to figure out like where the feedback problems usually yeah, happen. Right. And, uh, I remember also just doing a bunch of ear training with, mm. you know, I'd have had some app or something where it would play a frequency and I'd try to guess what it was. And yeah. I do. Uh, sound gym is one of those apps, which I oh, try cool. to do, which you like, you play it and you just have to move it. And it, you oh, that's cool. So yeah, yeah. we just check great. that out. I need yeah. to keep that stuff going. Too. Yeah. It's really <laughs> useful. You get to use it for free and then the fucking subscription comes in, but it's like $3 a month, which isn't that bad. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, that stuff's really important. Yeah, definitely like feedback for sure. I feel like the biggest thing, that I've realized, yes, feedback, but also working with musicians who haven't really performed at a certain level at a venue. So like some people at the band shell, um, I'm not gonna say the names or anything, but that you can just tell like they're rehearsing or doing sound check or whatever. And it's like, this is the really first time, like we were making a joke, like <laughs> dads who wish they were rock stars, but this is their hobby. And somehow they got a gig at the band shell and, now they're like oh my god this is it and yeah and there's one guy he just he just i don't know the mic was here and we we're telling my associate was just like all right you need to get closer to the mic and he's like okay but he's just for some reason consciously he kept going back and like <laughs> he trying to turn up the mic to reach him but then the feedback and it was just like you can't yeah it was just a shit show kind of but yeah. it worked out in the end yeah it's tough um but I think that's a really important part of, you know, how I sort of like put in my 10,000 hours at that at live sound and was trying to make bad bands sound good. Yeah. And then every now and again, you get a good band and you're like, OK, this is easy and I I can do this. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think it's I think it's really good practice to work with people who are less experienced and try to learn something from the experience of trying to make them sound good, even if it's it seems like a lost cause. Um, you know, one, one, another engineer that I really admire, um, his name's Richard Battaglia. And I remember coming up to him at a festival once he was mixing his band and I was, my band was going to be coming up in a few acts. And I, I just came up to him at the board and I was like, Hey, like I'm Dan. And, really like your work. It sounds great right now. And <clears throat> I was like, what's your secret? What, what's the, what kind of tip can you give me? And he just said, he's like a pretty quiet guy, but he just said, don't give up. Hmm. <laughs> and there's so many ways to interpret that, but it's like, I, it's so easy. Like, especially if you're working with inexperienced bands and you think it sounds good and or bad and, and, um, you just want to pull your hair out yeah. and you just want to like sit there and give up, but you don't give up. Mm -hmm. You keep trying. There's like something to learn. There's something like you can, you can make 
make things better. And maybe some of that is just like you were saying, like you figure out how to work with these people and how to train them, how to like teach them something that maybe their next gig goes better. And I think, I think people, if you say, if you say it in the right way, I think people are pretty open to that, to learning. And that's a, that's another, you know, obvious big part of, um, being an engineer and interfacing with musicians and artists is just how to talk to people. Yeah. Communication. (laughs) And just like, I think as humans, we have to learn from one another, you know, even if like the people, cause maybe I shouldn't speak on like experienced people cause they would know how to with the mic, but you know, in general, everyone can learn from something new from someone. What doesn't matter your age or whatever. And yeah, like trying to explain to the artist, like you need to get closer to the mic. And it's like, you're just like talked about like community, just helping each other. Cause maybe the next time you see each other, they're amazing. You can see the progress and they're like, thank you for showing me. Cause now we're doing more gigs and stuff. And it's like yeah. helping each other and, um, flourishing. And yeah, it's so important. Cause that's the idea of community <clears throat> instead of just like, you know, giving up and just like, Oh fuck it. You know, we're just gonna just try to make it through the night. And then I never have to see these guys again or gals. It's like, right. nah, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to uh, work your way to that to that point in your brain, like when you're in the heat of a show and and things aren't going well. <laughs> yeah, but what do you do when I think when the, like this is the one that like <laughs> I I swear I'm working on stress here, like like because I understand it's I do enjoy doing the live events, but when they're like late and like for sound check and we have to start on time <laughs> and I'm like oh my god and it's like do i start the other band i mean like what do you do in those frantic moments of just like trying to stay calm and like that's like when you have to know your shit i'm assuming and then you just set it all up quickly yeah i mean especially with concerts it's like you're saying like things don't always go to plan and it definitely does come with experience to know you know what the best option is but i feel like that's almost almost every live sound event whether it's a concert or some other kind of event it's rarely like an ideal scenario like you're always pressed for time like people are late or um you know the equipment isn't right or there's just something that you always have to to be able to deal with and you know you you got to just make the best of any situation and i think that's anyone that's all anyone can ask for and um yeah i just think that if you make the best of it and use what skills you have and experience you have to be able to make the best decision in that situation um that's all you can do and that can be really frustrating especially when the things that are not going to plan are completely out of your hands but um yeah, you just gotta you just gotta make the best of it and try to break it down into like little steps. So like if you're if you have no sound check, if you're just throwing and going, it's like all right, we're just gonna do one thing at a time. Like if that means like the band starts playing and uh we had no sound check, but I'm just gonna dial it in on the fly, like, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we're gonna do. And maybe <clears throat> in that situation, like I've had that even even recently, like 
you know, mixing for bands at festivals, like you mm-hmm. have so little time to set up and then things sometimes don't go right. And, um, I've definitely said to bands that I was working with, like, Hey guys, um, that didn't go well changeover. I'm like pretty screwed out here. Can you just kind of vamp into your set? Like just build with drums and then mm-hmm. co- have the bass come in. And, um, sometimes that, that, that I've been lucky enough to where that's worked just based Sweet. on like the types of music. Like it was like a jam band I'm thinking of that I was working for and they're used to kind of starting their set that way. But you know, that wouldn't work necessarily with like a pop artist who needs to come in on the first song with their radio hit and have it sound perfect. Like that wouldn't work, but yeah, <laughs> um, yeah you just got to make the best of it. Definitely. I, I, I realize it's just, all about experience and just learning from it and even though in the society where it's like you you want i think and also just we're talking about just like from tiktok and insta reels you see everyone's like doing everything perfect when they play it or something and like and then psychologically you're like well fuck i'm not on that level i feel like i have to work harder and stuff or i should easily just understand how to do this but in reality i'm talking to one of my friends who does like one of those guitar things she's like Grant, I practiced like two weeks just for this one video. Like you have to understand, like I just don't show it. And I'm like, I feel like we should try to get into this idea of like showing the mistakes on the videos, you know, help people realize it. Cause instead of thinking, oh, we're supposed to be perfect when we play the keys or a guitar or sing, it's like, nah, show the video of a reel or whatever, of like how many times of you're just you practicing. Just, uh, I think that would be inspiring in some ways. Yeah. I think that's good. That's a good idea. And I think like in, in engineering, I think one thing I've gotten better at is just being more humble and, Mm. and being open about the things that I am self-conscious about, um, in my own abilities maybe. And I think, yeah, the more that you can just be open about that stuff, the better because people, appreciate that because everybody has their things that they're not as good at and um if you can be open about it i think that people see that and they i think that it's just it's just being real you know yeah definitely um because i think i think in those early days and probably this is one of the reasons i got fired (laughs) from that first tour was i think i was doing that thing where i think i knew i I thought I knew more than I did Mm -hmm. or I acted like I was so good or something. Um, And I try to be more humble now, like knowing that I'm like, I have a lot of experience. I'm good at things, but like I also make mistakes and I'm not perfect. And um, it's just, I'm not trying to like overcompensate for anything. Yeah. I'm just trying to trying to be real with people about what I know and what I don't. And I think that's what people appreciate though too, is yeah. just honesty and openness to to learning. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And just being open minded and just like maybe they can teach you a new a different way of a technique that you think you know, but like you're like, oh, this is way makes life way easier. Why haven't I thought of it? And it's just like, yeah, sharing knowledge. Like uh one of my one of the teachers at Zero Mind, 
he said something to me and it just stuck with me since the day. It's like knowledge is the greatest gift. And it's, it's, so, it's just a simple idea of thinking of that. But it's like, yeah, like if you could, if you, were, if you had the option of like getting knowledge or material thing, I take the knowledge because the knowledge can get you to the material. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. And hearing the wisdom from someone, even though sometimes I feel like you might tell me this is the way to do it, but I have still... I still have to learn it the wrong way for me to actually understand your way just because I have to see it. Cause I, like, at least for me, I'm a visual learner. So I have to see it versus you say it to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, big, big, like, realization of that stuff. <laughs> but no, that's uh, just hearing, like, what have you accomplished so far? It's just amazing. I mean, like, for you, just looking at what you've done, what is the feeling you feel of, like, all the artists you've worked with or bands? I mean, it's great. I, I feel really lucky in my life and my career and, um, yeah, I've, I've stuck with it so far and, um, yeah, it's kind of mind blowing sometimes, like, especially like this past summer, like I mentioned that, you know, Bela Fleck and the Flecktone show back in 2003, it probably was. Mm -hmm. And just this past summer, like I'm out on the road with, with Bela Fleck's band. Like I'm in Jerry Douglas's band, but there's three bands together and we're all touring together. I'm like saying hi to Bela Fleck backstage. And man, that was, that was just really cool. That's a full circle kind of moment where I'm like, all right, like things are going right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I know they're not like, you know, the bluegrass world is not this big kind of pop thing where you're going to end up playing stadiums or something, but it's still that, you know, I've gotten in enough situations now where it's like band is crushing it. The audience is totally on board. Like it's this room full of like people connecting. Yeah. And anytime you're in a situation like that and you're doing a good job at your thing and everyone's killing it, like it just feels right. And it feels like an accomplishment. And, um, you know, I don't like to dwell too much on like, successes or things like that but it is it is fun sometimes to like think about you know or at least like right after a great show it's just like you can relish in that a little bit like wow this was this was really fun or like yeah like i've been lucky enough to mix at like red rocks in colorado and like wolf trap and in virginia and like you know the fox theater in oakland and like these really cool places where i've seen so many good shows and to get to duck in there every now and again and just play my little role is is kind of fun to to know that you know i'm like a little part of of that thing oh yeah like you're the you're like the the glue that holds everything together that like compressor glue man yeah because without (laughs) you they're not gonna sound good you know what i mean it's like like actually great analogy right there for that but you know like that's uh it literally what it is and it's uh like perfect segue you know let's talk about your event you know you know echoes in the valley um yeah went to it fucking amazing can't we got to promote that here now i mean let's just talk about like the first like the idea of it in your head when did that happen and then when did the ball start rolling yeah good question um yeah so echoes in the valley concerts is this thing that i cooked up in the last couple years and we finally made it happen last year uh or this past year i would say um 
2022 was our first concert in March. And yeah, I mean, I always kind of dreamed of being able to put on concerts and, you know, that kind of started in college of like, you know, booking bands on campus and just having this ability to like curate something and, Mm -hmm. and choose the, choose the bands. And, um, I just thought that it would always be fun. And I, you know, up until, um, I moved into this apartment that I'm in now, I never really thought that that was going to be a possibility in San Francisco, um, for myself to put on shows. I always assumed that, oh yeah, like someday when my wife and I move out of the city and we buy a house somewhere, you know, outside of the big city, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll have a living room big enough or a backyard cool. big enough to, to do this. Um, but we came into this amazing opportunity to move into an apartment with a backyard that was just ours. And when we moved in, it was like this blank slate with, you know, there's some plants here and there and like gravel and like a little patio and stuff. But pretty much as soon as as soon as we saw that and as soon as we had the keys to that place, I was thinking like, we're going to have house concerts here. (laughs) We're going to freaking do this thing. It's big enough and I'm going to design the yard in such a way that it's going to be possible and yeah, I mean, just as time went on and I was like working on the yard a lot, I kind of always had it in mind, like, all right, here's where the band's going to be. Like here, people are going to sit on the wall over here. And, um, so yeah, it was basically just having the space to do it in was the biggest catalyst for me. Yeah. I mean, I understand space because last shit, like trying to do my, like, I mean, you know what So Far Sounds is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, shout out to them. That's like a part-time gig thing. And like seeing what they do, like bringing community together, like I felt that with you, but even more, you know what I mean? Cool. Like Because not 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 talking shit so far. So far has been great and they pay, they give me some grocery money and shit. But like I liked how the artists had time to speak about some songs or the, like they did the jokes, you know, with the big car. Like I appreciate that time because some stuff i understand their business models like they got only this window of enough time for the artist for three acts mm. but right. yours was just so i guess the right word is organic mm. and i really appreciated that also we were around organic you know mother nature which i love and um that for sure definitely needs to keep going because i felt like the community for sure and the love and the vibe and the little breaks in between and going up to the artist and talking and yeah it was a great vibe Cool. Well, that's really great to hear. And I I think a lot of people, yeah, had that experience and that, that makes me feel really good about just having that space and opening it up to people, sharing it, um, you know, working with some of these bands that I've known for a Mm -hmm. long time and giving them the opportunity to just put together a night of music and just shape it the way that they want to shape it. Um, is pretty special i think and i hope that it keeps growing i hope that you know we can grow our email list so that i mean the goal honestly would be you know if i can book any artist whatsoever and have 40 to 50 people show up that just from that like the concerts that would be the ideal because then it takes all the promotional pressure off the off the artist and um 
everybody can just come and have a good time. Yeah. And yeah, I don't have to worry so much about uh, the promotional side, which is stressful sometimes too. Um, and if the bands didn't have to, like, I would love that because then it doesn't matter if the band has a big following. It's like if they're really good and they're and they want to do the thing, like they can come and do the thing, and that then they'll have this new community of followers. Definitely. I mean, it's well. First, just shout out to you and your wife for just the hospitality of just letting people come there and make really like letting your home be someone else's home for that for for a few hours. I mean, that is just on its own, very gracious and appreciative, um, Thanks. which is awesome. And just, um, yeah, like people coming, coming through and just like meeting people. I got, I met your neighbor. Uh, I'm blanking on his name. I'm so sorry. But Silas. He, yeah, there we go. Yeah. yeah it Silas. Was, he, it was so cool. He's I was like, <laughs> uh, how do you know this event? He's like, Oh, I live here. I'm a neighbor. And I was like, what's up my guy. It was super cool. Cool dude. Yeah. One loving. We're here for it. Um, I know, yeah. yeah, and I hope I hope that stuff keeps going too, and I I take pleasure in that too when I see like people meeting new people and just it's kind of like I said, I'm sure I said it at that show, but it's like it's easy to feel kind of powerless in the world when you think about what's happening on the global scale or the national scale or even on the San Francisco scale sometimes, but you know, if if we can bring people together like that and make new connections and and have that happen with music as the as the reason for getting together um i think that's always going to be a positive thing yeah um meeting people through the arts and then figuring out just new connections and new friendships Mm -hmm. and um oh we all just really enjoyed that concert and now we can talk about it um i think that's that's something really cool that I hope that we can keep keep going. Yeah, with. definitely. And because of that event you had, I was wondering because I was also you know looking at the amazing poster, uh, was the collab with the Songrise Studio. So is that yeah was that? I guess my question is, is when you put on these events, will they always be a collab with them, or is that just that one time kind of situation? Um, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, uh, so Songrise Studios is this great vocal training studio that was started by my good friend, Jasmine Pritchard. And, um, I'm trying to think how, how this came about, but it was basically like Jasmine and Songrise, um, they put on concerts too. Uh, sometimes it's student showcases. Sometimes it's just an artist and then, uh, Jasmine invites her community of students out to the shows and then their their expanded communities from like the students significant others or family members but uh ken newman and hither were supposed to play a songrise studios uh event um and then i think the pandemic canceled it so they they had already put together a show i remember she was talking about yeah. that yeah <laughs> And so, um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I think, I forget how it went down, but it was basically like, hey, this show was already going to happen pre-pandemic and it was going to be these two artists and uh, Jasmine was going to put it on and 
we could use the extra help to promote this show. And I, I just, I've been friends with Jasmine for 10 plus years and she's great. And I just think it was a really organic, you know, collaboration. And, um, I would be totally open to co-presenting more shows down the road. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I could definitely see, uh, I mean, I don't put the final say on this, but like you or Pure Mind with their students and artists, that would be kind of a cool collaboration. Totally. Or uh, High Street, because those guys, you know, they always, they all play instruments and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? There's so many like different avenues here. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see like really bring the community together, which I love just like, for, you know, taking one artist or some person who does the arts and another person and just bring them together because then that bubble just grows. Everyone knows everyone. And it's yeah. just the best feeling ever, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll see how that how everything goes the next this next year. But um, yeah, I'm definitely open to ideas about how to get more people in there, and if that means more, you know, co-presenting with other organizations or mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, I'm definitely open to it. Because yeah, the more people that we can get together in the space and make these shows a success every time, the better in my mind. Yeah, definitely. I love the setup. And even just speaking of the, uh, your event, um, like just the layout, you know, um, when I was there, I just, a, when you were to like, you know, planning this out, did you have in your mind, like the idea of like what equipment you're going to need? Like, so like I'm talking about the 500 series that caught my eye particularly Mm. like, did you already have all that equipment ready or like, do you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. Probably need to spend money to make money or whatever kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's all stuff I already had, um, from producing videos and recordings for people. So, um, I just knew for this, uh, series that I needed some kind of mixing system. And usually when I use a mixing console, it's yeah. someone else's and definitely, um, I'm just driving someone else's console, but in this situation, uh, yeah, I just, I knew I needed a bunch of different channels, maybe like up to 12, um, and a way to mix it live. So yeah, I just had the 500 series and I'm happy to, to use that stuff. Cause it's really nice and sounds great. Well, portable too, which is great. Yeah. Pretty easy to, to set it up and then i have like my little interface and the interface has an ipad remote for it so um you know it doesn't have all the functionality of a lot of different mixing consoles because it's really it's really not meant to be doing what i'm doing with it but it works and the other side benefit of that uh using that system is that i can multi-track every show and have that as another thing that the band can walk away with at the end of the show is, oh yeah, by the way, we we multi-tracked all those songs at really? at twenty four ninety six, and they sound really good through the preamps. And um, so, I mean, if I have the bandwidth to make those even better and better, um, I want to try to do that too. Yeah, it so. was it was really great. Um, was it tricky for the band or hither? Because I didn't see a PA monitor. Mm-hmm. I was curious. Was that hard for them, or would you say after doing, you know, live sound in that space, it w- wasn't really big of an issue? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, that that system that we use, um, my friend and neighbor 
uh, Casey Turner again. He he very generously lends me that PA system, which belongs to him, and it's the Bose L1 Model ah, Two. Okay. Um, so it's this funky speaker design where it's it's kind of meant for an artist to set up that system behind them, and okay. then uh, they can just set up like on a street corner or wherever just by themselves set up the whole PA and have it be a monitor and a front of house PA all in one. Um, so that's kind of the thinking behind that system. And it's worked for every band we've had so Sweet. far. Um, there was a moment during soundcheck with Hither where we were figuring out if we needed a monitor, a floor monitor mm -hmm. to supplement or not. Um, we ended up not needing it, and I hope that they heard themselves well enough. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, the the L one is is cool because it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty good at not feeding back with the mics, mm -hmm. even when it's behind the mics or to the side of the mics, and it's close enough to the stage to where the band can can pretty much hear what everyone else is hearing. So yeah. Um, I think it's great. It's good tone and Definitely. it's not too bright and it works as a monitor. So it's like less stuff to set up. And I want to keep, keep using that system if we can. Heck I think, yeah. I think it works. Yeah. It, 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 I just, no, I just saw it. That's why I'm just curious. Just as learning with this stuff, I didn't know yeah. how important it was. And stuff. Yeah. That's but, a good question. But um, yeah, that's super cool. And then just kind of going into like being a video producer, uh, we talked about a little bit about it, but what is what is your intent to do with doing that as a project and stuff? Is it focused only on artists or could it be anything? Yeah, good question. Um, pretty much anything. I mean, I've done I've done mostly music videos for bands, but I've also done videos for nonprofits and cool. for businesses and just kind of. I just generally don't say no to many projects and that's kind of just part of being a freelancer is just yeah. trying to say yes to everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I originally got into video production kind of as a, as a way to record more. Cause that's what, at that point I really wanted to record, um, more projects with bands and, um, you know, after working my way through like studio internships and just kind of surveying the landscape, it really seemed like for the studios that are here in town or around the Bay, um, it seems like the, the engineers who were doing really well were like just in those studios mm. doing the thing. Um, whereas like, yeah, I was always out doing tours or concerts and like, I could never really like, you know, get a foothold in like the studio world other than the like, occasional project. So I just started seeing these videos circulating the internet that were like performance videos where it's like you have the band set up in like a weird location, like a cave or yeah. Or in know. the woods or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I could do that. That sounds like fun. And so that, and that's a way that I can like, you know, record, I can like set up a mobile system to record the bands. And that's why I got the 500 series. And yeah. I was like, all right, I'm going to try to build up this system so I can like make really nice recordings. Cause one thing I noticed about the, you know, the 
band playing in the cave videos was a lot of times they didn't sound good. They looked really good, but, um, so I was like, all right, that's like a thing that I can do with these videos to like make them better than some of the other videos that I've been seeing. And so I just started doing it. Like I, it literally started with like, you know, a friend of mine that I'd met at the Red Devil Lounge open mic night. And I was like, hey, you're really good. I want to do this thing where I'm going to like set up a camera and mm. set up some mics and record you playing in the tunnel in Golden Gate Park below the music concourse. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's literally like the first thing we did. We like took some beers out to the park and just like had a session and, um, it was really fun and the videos turned out well and it like gave me like a reason to get get out logic or pro tools i forget what i was using at the time but um yeah i just started working on projects you know you go film and record this thing and then all of a sudden you're you're back at the computer trying to edit and mix and just Mm -hmm. try to make it sound awesome and then yeah i mean i just started getting better and better at that stuff and be able to hire Mm -hmm. videographers to come in and shoot. And then, you know, just sort of like looking over their shoulder and figuring out how they do it. And then I was always the editor. So that's a really good way to learn how to run a camera is to, to edit because then Mm -hmm. you really figure out what you like and what you don't like. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just kept, I kept it going and, uh, I really do like doing live gigs, but I also like having things to work on um, at home and to kind of hone the craft of post-production, Sweet, which is like yeah. a whole other thing. But I really think that it being able to work with audio and video in that realm, it definitely informs the, the live uh, event skill set too mm-hmm. and vice versa. I think the live skill set... Um, translates really well in certain ways to studio stuff yeah definitely especially when you see videos of artists just going into the studio or something it just i don't know it's just cool you're just like oh my god this is the process and stuff and definitely gonna have to hit you up uh because my goal right now is it's not like you know you have it like it's a bucket list but it's my top priority it's like getting the Hare krishna folks into high street studio a and like record them like some on some like original like you know, their mantra of Hare Krishna or some other songs, the Vita. Um, and I love to like, A, get that capture that, you know, like in the a spiritual sense, just so people, um, you know, in America can see what is this religion. And like, I understand people know what it is. And it was, you know, in the 60s. But I think even talking to some folks, like, no offense to grandma, but like, she's like, Oh, they're going to brainwash you and this stuff, you know, like that's what they like you saw in the news and like you believe whatever the news said, but it's like, that's not the case at all, you know, and I appreciate what their teachings are and like, and not being forced upon it. And it's like, if I could, you know, get that energy and sounds and the message to people through a video with, you know, and then of course you put the recording on top of it, uh, with high street hard analog gear like oh my god uh, yeah sounds like you got it all figured out i yeah i mean yeah, well yeah i mean but just to have you there and everything it'd be a great project super fun and just again connecting people and then hey get them to come play you know what i mean hell yeah 
yeah. that would be a cool like experiment or experience i should say not experiment experience to have totally yeah let's make things happen like that yeah i'm i'm here for it it just takes uh takes time a little bit just trying to figure with people's schedules but yeah of course but just hearing about the videos that's incredible um would you say i guess you know just looking at all my questions and everything i think we kind of hit them all i guess the only other one is just like you know your goals for 2022 and then finishing 2022 and then starting 2023 what are you what is like dan's goals right now just kind of focusing on yeah that's a good question um maybe one of my my downfalls is i don't i don't look far enough ahead <laughs> but i mean i just want to keep getting better and better at the things i'm doing um so and and by that i mean just just like broadening my skill set of things that i can do well mm-hmm. um cuz that's i mean that's that's what i want to be known as as someone who's like good at stuff and i can like help people with my skill set definitely um so yeah i think in the video realm that means probably um just honing my skills as a director and maybe um, adding some equipment that will help me do that. Um, And then for audio, especially live sound, like I'm trying to trying to think more like a systems engineer sometimes. And uh, by that, I mean just the person who is in charge of the overall tonality of of the sound system and so um there's some software that i'm trying to get better at so that i can bring that that skill set and that tools tool set to um to my live sound gigs yeah Um, which i mean the goal of that is just to like make it sound better consistently because yeah it's like you were saying like there's there's situations where things don't go as planned and if you have this other skill set to bring to it where it's going to make your life easier like yeah. uh, we need to do that definitely <laughs> so uh, maybe that's a little bit vague but uh yeah just get better at the stuff that i'm already doing and try to learn some new things heck yeah man people. i think that's that's a great way just for goals and um particularly just hearing like giving back is the biggest thing you know because definitely you know this level you are on and you are also willing to help others who want to get in this realm because i understand it can be overwhelming i think it's the right word and just like who how where do i even go and i realized in this industry it's all about connections but also who you are and the personality, you know, just like yeah. if you are on that same page of giving back, so someone's about to pass you knowledge, you they would hope that when you get to that at that age and a new buck comes in, you're like, all right, I'm willing to take this knowledge and pass it on to the next generation just to help. That is for sure the key. Yeah, and that's <clears throat> that's always something that I've like thought of as something I really want to do. Just like having teaching being more of of kind of the things that I that I do on a regular basis. Um, Would you take an apprentice? Absolutely. Yeah. Cause right. I think, I think that those that I was helped so much by people that, um, 
that I asked to for them to take me under their wing, that was so helpful to me. I would love to, you know, pay that back. And if that means, you know, spending some time um, teaching someone else how to approach certain situations or it's, if it's the hard skills of actually mixing or the soft skills of dealing with people, um, I would love to share some perspectives, not like I'm some genius on all this stuff, but like I've seen some stuff and yeah. I, I think I can have some good advice for someone who's trying to learn, I would say. Um, and yeah, that goes for like stuff in music and video and audio production, but also like, you know, one of the things on like kind of the, the national scale or at, and the local scale that, that, really irks me is just that like we don't have good uh public education and one of my goals in 2023 is to start you know volunteering with the san francisco unified school district Um, i would love to i mean if, if i can get myself in a situation where i'm just like reading to a kid or reading with a kid like after school like i think that'd be great because you know I just think it really makes me mad that like in a city full of billionaires, I think there's 76 billionaires that live in San Francisco that make their permanent residence here. We somehow still can't figure out how to like adequately fund public education. And those people, those teachers that are in it, that are doing it every day, um, they're stretched pretty thin is what I hear. And, um, yeah, I mean, if there's some way that someone like me that has, that's fortunate enough to have time, at least certain times of the year, like if I can use some of my time to re- give those teachers some relief and, you know, help a kid learn how to read, like, that'd be great. So, yeah, man, that's wow. Okay. I don't know if the podcast is fully over now because like <laughs> just, just because my goal, like main goal in life like yeah i want to do the audio engineering and be in the music scene but it is it is to start a non-profit to teach underprivileged kids music like whatever that is like yeah theory but also audio engineering and like beat making and whatever just anything just to keep them like from doing drugs or so you know, cool yeah or like crime or whatever just to like let because music for me my words aren't the best you know like like how i express myself is through the sitar or guitar, you know what I mean? It's, I know the shapes of the chords that expressing that long sentence that I'm trying to figure out or that one word that I just don't know. Um, and, I've, and if I can give that back to someone else and like help them with their lives, they have a tough life. By God, that's like the goal. That That is the reward. And like hearing you like in that energy, because I, I was talking to <clears throat> Stefan and even Greg about just like what what is like, how can I do this? You know, like and more stuff and just like building a nonprofit, getting like, you know, um, board members, finding ways to get donors and everything. And then finding, you know, you know, people who have the knowledge and teaching this, you know, just mm-hmm. not getting some random person who just watched YouTube videos. Of course, like, so I mean like you perfectly, you know what I mean? Or, or, or even get Stefan to come in on a day just to explain what the music business or the band show is like. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's just really great to hear because yeah, I definitely want to give back to this community. This community needs it. 
it's like with all the love that the arts does for San Francisco, you know, these billionaires or the city needs to put more back into it. And it's great to see that like they're doing that at Golden Gate Park with the JFK, with the with the different locations of the music and the, the pianos they have there. And so great. So, yeah, just more of that and just trying to teach people because like as we talked about, knowledge is the greatest gift, but the right knowledge is that's the key you know what i mean because people can say shit you know whatever but is it correct or is it not or is it just misleading and right knowing the people who i know so far in san francisco um it would be great to have them be a part of this so yeah hearing this from you i know you're saying reading and everything but just like you know even just understanding like what an xlr cord is and like why how there's a ground and there's a signal to it and like this is why we use this and it's balanced versus unbalanced you know what i mean just like yeah. understanding like the foundation of the stuff so then wow they can become the next greatest engineer and then doesn't have to get stuck into debt because they think the paper really matters man like yeah yeah here for all of that that's great yeah good luck with that and yeah. don't give up on uh <clears throat> on making something like that happen that sounds like a beautiful thing that could happen yeah, definitely. In that uh, full circle, don't give up. Like, don't for give up for real. That is that is that is, uh, that is the takeaway to this. Is like really follow your passion. Don't give up, um, even when it seems the darkest. Like, cause I've been there so many times where it's just like maybe I should just go do the finance job or whatever. But it's like no, I'm sticking with it. Happiness matters more than money, even though sometimes it does get stressful when you're like, like as you said, a freelancer and just trying to pay those bills, but yeah um that's where the community comes in people help you get gigs and stuff totally yeah sweet oh i think that was the grandtastic podcast for today thank yeah. you so much dan for coming on we appreciate it it's much love and um we hope you all out there stay hydrated uh take whatever you want from this and hopefully it can help you flourish and grow and just be kind because we need a lot of that now a day so all right, y'all. Thank you for being here or listening or watching. Have a great one. Thanks for having me, Grant. Of course, Dan.